There we go. Turn on my mic. Um, hey, it's, uh, it's Advent. I want quick, one quick, it's not really an announcement, but just a, an FYI. You've probably noticed uh, normally uh, the preaching schedule is that, that, that I'm in the pulpit three out of four Sundays and then one of the others is in for a week and then, but you'll notice the last several weeks we've had, uh, we've had other, other folks in here on a pretty regular basis. I think it's been three, since before the election that I was up here and it'll be another three weeks before I'm up here again. And I know that, you know, there's much weeping and gnashing of teeth as a result of that. Don't hear me wrong. Um, but I just want to, I want to acknowledge that we are a church that values leadership development. And in a way, we get to be like Antioch. And if you read, read about it, but it, it, we get to be a spot where we develop leaders and give opportunity and, and wait for God's call on other people's lives. And then we get to send them where God calls them. Um, Zach, as a matter of, uh, Zach as an example, Zach and Kate DeForest were in Hungary last week uh, because the church plant that we're participating in in Hungary is looking to possibly plant an, an English-speaking church at the university campus in Deberson, uh, Hungary. And they have been talking to Zach and Kate about being those church planters. So we have eight people now that are either credentialed <clears throat> through the RCA as ministers of word and sacrament or are in seminary and ministry development and have a license to preach. So we want to make sure that we don't, <clears throat> we don't just give them opportunity to go preach somewhere else. We're their home church. So we're looking for opportunity to, to have them preach. And Advent, which we're just starting, is a great chance to do that. We'll, we'll see Pastor Doug will be here next week and he will bring the message in all three services. And then we'll have three additional preachers the, the third week of Advent. And then uh, on the 1st of January, poor Andrew, uh, great job on beautiful things, by the way. Um, Andrew Moore will be preaching the day that nobody comes to church, <laughs> January 1. Um, I, I encourage you to celebrate the new year at about 10.30 p.m. And so you can be here at 10.30 a.m. for his first sermon here. It's not by no means his first sermon. And by the way, Patrick, great job last week bringing the word of God to us. Thank you for that. Um, well, you can give him a hand. That's all right. He didn't ever get to hear. We all... Last week when you left, we, we pray, you know, we, we clapped for you after you were done, and now, you know, you get to be here and hear that. Let me, uh, let me offer prayer, and then we'll get started on this first Sunday at Advent, the forgotten characters of Advent. We're going to be talking about Zachariah and Elizabeth. You know the story, but we don't usually talk about them that much. They're kind of also ran characters, but there's some great stuff here and a challenge to all of us. Let's pray. Lord, this is the time in the church year where we kind of pretend we, we remember that you've already done what you said you would do in Jesus and him coming uh, as the Christ child, uh, the incarnation. But we also pretend as if we're waiting for that hope to come. Lord, as we talk through this, as we deal with the already and not yet of Advent, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to hear and see and for me, Lord, you know, when, we, when preachers prepare, we think of what our message or our sermon, and it's really not ours, it's yours. So, Lord, I pray today that, that these words are your message to all of us. I know I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to anybody else, and if there's something you have planned to say that I haven't thought of, make it, confirm it within me, make it burn within me so that I know for sure it's your word, and I will speak it 
But if there's something that's on my screen or that I have studied and thought and want to say, but it's not of you, convict me of it later, but wipe it from my memory or make it disappear from the screen so that people only hear what you want them to see and hear today. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. You heard in the prayer, Advent's a strange time. Um, we in the West, we think of time as linear. And the uh, astrophysicists would tell you that that's correct. I mean, time, time, the universe is ever expanding. Time runs in one direction. It doesn't go back. If you're a sci-fi fan, you know that, you know, Doctor Who can do it differently. Um, there's four of us in the whole room, aren't there? Four, wait, wait, one, two, three, four, five, six. All right. Um, but we, we think of time as linear, but the, the, the Hebrew mind saw it more cyclical. And I'm, I'm not saying that they got it right, but there's some sense of when they celebrated, for example, Passover, um, when the angel of God passed over the people of, uh, the, the people of Israel to save them and their children, but took many from Egypt. Um, when they celebrate Passover, they don't think of it just as we're remembering what happened before. They're experiencing it for themselves as if they're going through it. And Advent is the time in the church where we go, we're going to try and do that. We know that everything that needs to be done for someone to receive salvation, for someone to be redeemed by God in Christ, has already been done. A couple of thousand years ago, Jesus was born. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, the second person of the Trinity took on flesh, fully human, fully God. It's called the incarnation, also known as the hypostatic union. And that he, wa that he walked and he taught and he did miraculous things. And then he suffered and he was killed and he died. He descended into hell. He resurrected from the dead on the third day and he ascended to the Father 40 days later. That is done. And anyone that wants to be redeemed, that wants to be forgiven of sin, anyone that wants to receive for themselves the gift that God offered, all they have to do is receive it. We know that's already done. But in Advent, we anticipate it happening again for the first time. So we try to remember what it was like to have no hope. But the only hope we have is the promise of God, not the revealed promise of God. But here's the piece that sometimes we miss because we're not... Um, we're not always into eschatology, the end times type stuff. But, you know, some of the promises that God made were revealed to us in Christ. But there's some of those, that those are already, but there's some of them that aren't completed yet. Not yet. Like, there's still pain in the world. There's still disease in the world. There's still betrayal in the world. There's still sin in the world. There's still harm in the world. There's still wars in the world. There's still, there's still people that will, that will kill in the name of God in the world. And we know that God promises that at the end of time, the great will be least. The least will be raised up. We know that from the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. But right now, the peacemakers are kind of yelled at and shunned or laughed at. We know that the lion will lie down with the lamb. We know that, that all disease will be gone. We know that there will only be hope and peace and joy and, 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 and God's presence. And God will rule over all and every knee, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. That's not yet. So Jesus came and we celebrate the anticipation of that. But we know he's already come. But he's coming back. And we live in that spot in Advent where we're hoping, praying, or maybe fearing that he will indeed one day come and make all things new. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So as we talk about these forgotten characters of Advent, my job and the job of the other preachers is to, they didn't know, how do they respond? And then we translate to that, to that we, we know, but what can we learn about 
from them on we, we know that God is coming, but we don't know when. So how should we respond when God speaks to us, when God moves in us, when God shows us something? How should we respond? So we're going to look at Zachariah and Elizabeth. Originally it was just Elizabeth, but there's so many contrasts between these two married people that I got to, I got to bring Zachariah into the mix. So we're going to read in Luke chapter 1. Here's a little bit of background on Zachariah and the priesthood. Zachariah is, is one. Uh, he, he, he serves one. Two one-week terms in the temple area per year. So this, he's one of 24 divisions of priests. There's about 18,000 priests in the first century. So he goes to the temple and he administers the sacraments, what we would call the sacraments, but the, administers the rites and rituals that God has required of the priesthood and of the people. And once in a lifetime, if God chose you by lot, you were chosen to go into that holy of holies to burn incense on the altar of God where God himself, the, the, the presence of God is supposed to be on this earth. <coughs> and they would spend weeks and weeks preparing, once they were chosen by Lot, you, if you go in there once, you never, come, you never get to do it again. And if you go in there blemished physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, and you come in contact with the glory of God, you're struck dead. They would tie a rope on the, on, around their waist so that they went in to make these offerings and to burn these incense. If the glory of God killed them, they, drag, they had a rope because no one else could go in. So they had a rope to pull them back out. Zechariah was chosen, and you'll hear it in the story, to go and burn incense to the Lord, asking God, confessing the sin of God's people, and asking God to cleanse them of their sin and redeem them as his people. That's a little background on Zechariah. In the time of King Herod, of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And just so you know, Aaron was a priest as well. Almost at the end of almost every service, when we say the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you, the Lord turn his countenance toward you, smile at you and give you peace. That's known as the ironic, not ironic, but ironic blessing. It's from Aaron. So Aaron, that's been happening, that's been going on and being spoken to God's people for 4,000 plus years. So both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations, regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah... Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the, the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time came for the burning of incense, when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. When an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side, the right side of the altar of incense, when then an angel appeared. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear, but the angel said to him, we know this every single time an angel shows up, what does the angel say to the people? Do not be afraid, fear not. And we're told that there's 365 times in our response to God showing up either in angel form, pre-incarnate Christ or Christ himself, that there's 365 times when we're told, fear not, do not be afraid or have no fear. Now, I don't know if it's exactly 365 times, it depends on the derivation of the word and the, how you translate it and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it's often. And we kind of look at this and we go, now as, as a pastor, I look at this and I go, well, what, are you, what were you expecting? 
I mean, you're, you're showing up in the presence of God. You've prepared for weeks to make sure that you're blameless and pure. And you're coming to say, to, to, to burn incense so that the, the, the smell of the incense is symbolically takes your, your, your petitions and confessions to God. And you're begging God, please, please come to your people. Deliver us from sin. Redeem us. Buy us back from the world and from all the calamity of the, of the earth. And an angel shows up. Don't you, wouldn't you think that as a priest you'd go, finally, yes. But picture it, a minute ago I was praying before the, before the message and when I brought my head up and you raised your, you un, undid your, you know, you opened your eyes and undid your eyes. <laughs> um, and there was an, if you looked up and there suddenly was an eight foot clothed in white glowing with, with the glory of God standing next to me with a sword and a shield, you'd go, hologram? How did they... Boy, they're big technology budget, you know? Or you'd be going, you'd be terrified. And he'd go, fear not. And I can't do his voice because when I get excited, my voice goes, ah! He's got, you know, he's Gabriel, right? And I'd, be on, I'd either be running or on the ground. <laughs> no, because I know what I've done. So it shouldn't be that big of a surprise that when, when the, the archangel, one who is, sits in the presence of God, shows up to deliver a message in the Holy of Holies, when he's been warned all along that if God shows up, you're going to die, okay, he would be gripped with fear. Don't be afraid. I can't do his voice, so Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And you think based on what comes next, that there's only one prayer that's been heard. But we find out later that there's two. Your wife will bear a son, and you're to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and you will rejoice because of his birth. Or many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will be... Will will he bring back to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Which prayer did he hear? Now we're told that Zechariah and Elizabeth were barren, but they were blameless. And in that culture, a child was, that carried on your family name. That, that said that God was blessing you and that you had a blessing, as Pastor Greg was talking about a couple of weeks ago, you had a blessing to pass on to others. But he was in the Holy of Holies asking God to forgive his people, confessing the sin of the people, asking God to cleanse them of all unrighteousness. And the angel shows up and he says, God's heard your prayer. Your wife will have a baby and he's going to be like Elijah and he's going to prepare, <clears throat> prepare the way of the one you've all been waiting for. He's going to call, he's going to create a people and call them back to be a redeemed people of God. God is beginning something new. And here's what Zechariah says. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife was well along in years and praise God that she wasn't in the room when he said that. <laughs> now, I don't like Zachariah's response here. I think that I would have one just like it though. 
Mary was similar when, when, the, when, the, when the angel, same angel shows up and, and, and says to her that you will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus or Yeshua. She goes, um, virgin? But her, hers is, it's not possible, but hers is inquisitive. His is a, den a denial of possibility. He, he go, an angel shows up and says, your, your wife's going to give birth, and this is what's going to happen. He goes, How, come on, really? Have you seen her? Look at me. And he gets chastised. The angel said, and I can't do his voice, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this, and I want you to remember these words, this good news and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the, until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed in the, so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remain unable to speak. And then look at the difference between Zachariah's response and Elizabeth's response. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, that's really sweet for her, but I want you to see how she saw this vision, how she saw this proclamation, this gospel, this good news. She took it as if it was done and she believed it. And what did she, what did she say? God has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace or my perceived sin. And isn't that, that exactly what it is that the scripture tells us that Jesus came to do? To show favor to his people and to take away our disgrace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom God's favor rests. That's the announcement of the host of angels when they go to the shepherds and they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to you on whom God's favor, God favors you. Already, not because you've done something, but already Elizabeth sees God's favor. Elizabeth takes the angel actually through the tablet that she, her husband writes to her with, but takes God's word as his word. But Zechariah Ah, really? Really? He's a priest. He should expect it. When God speaks, what's your response? Honestly. God speaks to us this way. I told you to remember a word, good news. That's what gospel means. You know this, right? Gospel means good news. You know what it doesn't mean? Good advice. It's not good advice. It's not, it's not help for moral living. It, news is what has already happened. It's a statement of, of historical events. This has already been done. Advice is how might you behave if something like this comes up in the future? If as Christians we see the gospel as good advice then we're functionally atheistic. 
We do what we do and we say, we take these principles and we understand, okay, yeah, they used to see angels, they used to see demons, but now we know that some people have delusions and it might be drug-induced and, and, and the demonic, well, maybe it's epilepsy or maybe it's uh, schizophrenia or maybe it's some kind of uh, bipolar disorder. Um, and we try to explain things away. We have this arrogance that we think that our worldview, our way of seeing things is better and more enlightened than the people of the first century and the things that God has revealed to us. And we look at the miraculous and we go, eh, Really? Or we say, how can this be that God would let us participate in God-sized miraculous work? Mary, the mother of Jesus, visits Elizabeth. It says, at, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, Elizabeth talking to Mary, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. But here's the theme of Advent in Luke. The first beatitude uttered in this gospel, the blessed are, the blessed are. Blessed is she, talking about Mary, who has believed what the Lord has said will be accomplished. Blessed is the one who believed what the Lord has said will be accomplished. Do you believe that the, what the Lord has said will be accomplished? In fact, do you believe that when the Lord says it, it's already done? Let there be light. Light, order from chaos, order came from chaos. When God said to Adam, breathe, he breathed. When you woke this morning, it was because God said, awaken. When God speaks, it is, it's fact, it's done, it's gospel, it's news, it's not advice. And Elizabeth has the spirit to be humble and recipient and receptive to God's favor. See, Genesis 25, we see another two infants in utero doing something. By the way, the word Latin, the fetus word, we always say fetus, fetus, fetus. Fetus is Latin for baby, just so you know. We make it scientific, but that's all it means. But so we, we, in Genesis 25, we see Esau and Jacob, which we heard from Pastor Kurt, Esau despised or took lightly his blessing. Um, they're in, in utero in Genesis 25. They're fighting for supremacy. Who's going to be, who's going to get the blessing? Who's going to be the firstborn? Who's going to get this? Who's going to get this? And it's all about and, and how, the, how they thought in utero. I don't know, but that's how the scripture tells us that they're fighting for supremacy. And now we have two cousins in other people's, you know, in, in different wombs. One is rejoicing in the fact that he will be subservient to the one to come after him. John rejoices in that he will one day say, I must decrease so he can increase. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He's humble and willing even in utero. And his mother is humble and favored and she sees the favor that God has shown to others. And she blesses Mary. But she took what God has said at God's word and believed that it's good news, not good advice. One more segment of scripture, and then I'm going to poke at you. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. 
On the eighth day after his birth, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, nope, he's to be called John. Now, just so you know, nobody names someone else's kid because you're claiming ownership. So you remember, um, where is Zach here? No. Help me remember, what did they rename Daniel? Belteshazzar. Remember when the king Nebuchadnezzar renamed him Belteshazzar? So he couldn't be Daniel anymore. He was claiming ownership and lordship and Godhead over, the, over him. When you name someone else's kid, you're owning them. And just like when David counted all of his soldiers, and when you count someone, like a king takes a census, he wants to know how many people he's lord over. And God came to David and said, you don't get to count my people. They're my people. Here, God is, he, with, with John and with, with, with Jesus, God is saying, I'm naming them. They're mine. The call on their life is first mine. I'm the one who's going to fill them with the Holy Spirit. I'm the one who's going to do something miraculous. From, but the people don't understand because Zechariah, who's a priest, can't speak. In fact, we're pretty sure he couldn't hear because he was, they were having a wave at him because he couldn't understand. He asked for a tablet. It goes like this on the eighth day. Okay, he's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet and everyone was astonished when he wrote his name as John. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and they began to speak praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things, and everyone who had heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand is on him. Okay, let's think about this for a minute. God's claiming ownership. God makes a declaration in the very worship service where they're asking for their sins to be forgiven. And God announces that something new is going to take place. There's a miraculous, supernatural appearance of an angel. And the one who's supposed to be following after God, the one who's prepared to bring, to bring the, the, the petitions of God's people to him, he goes, really? Really? Come on. And Elizabeth, who's the one who is actually feeling the disgrace more than others, she goes, the Lord has saved me from my disgrace, and he's shown me favor. Mary and Elizabeth don't have any competition between them. And then finally, Zechariah gets, he's learned his lesson. I mean, it's like, it's, like, it's like God said to him when he goes, are you, come on, re really, re really? And God goes, zip it. Shh. Zip, 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 zip. Nine months. No talkie. You wait, and you be quiet, and you wait to see what God will do. Not a punishment. It's an admonition. And so I have to ask you these questions. When God is doing something new, something out of your paradigm, out of your idea of what he should be doing or what your experiences are, do you go, really? Or do you say, that's a little scary. But yes, Lord. Think back to a year and two months ago in October, when Reverend Tim Vink was here and he started talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and people speaking in other languages and people being prayed for and they, they're healed, even one guy that came back from the dead. And he says that that, can, that kind of thing can happen here. Many of us went, really, really, really? That's a little, there's other churches, they run around, they do this, they do that stuff. But, Scripture says that Jesus himself says, you will do even greater things than I will. 
Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and live and dwell within you, and he will, you will do miraculous signs. Jesus says that this will be. In fact, it's already done. And so we can either choose to, to, to seek out what God has spoken and, and, and agree with him and hope that he will and believe that he will, or we can go, nah, he used to do that. He doesn't do that anymore. But that means you're saying that God changes, even though he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So either it's functional atheism, like, God, yeah, you got that over there. We're going to do it. Your, you do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. Or we believe that God has changed and that God does not behave the way he always has. I'm using that as an example because that's an easy one because I know that some people, many of us, were like, yeah, we're much afraid. But some of us, afraid but said, yes, Lord. And I can look around the room and I know three people for sure in this room that have had miraculous things happen in their lives because they said, yes, Lord. So we're preparing for Christmas, but we're preparing for the for the return of Christ, where he will keep every promise. The proud will be humbled. The weak will be great and strong. The powerful will be powerless. Do you believe that news? Or is it kind of wishful thinking or maybe one day and we'll see what happens? God speaks. What's your response? Really? Or yes, Lord. It's scary. But I know that when you say it, you will always do what you promised you would do. Is the Lord capable of keeping his promise? Of course. Is the Lord capable of breaking his promise? Of course not. So why do we act so often like he does not do what he promised he would do? There are many areas in our lives where we say, really? And God does not deal lightly when we say no, Lord. Zechariah Elizabeth, not talking gender here, which one is your spirit most like? Because when God speaks, you must respond. And you can either take it as news or advice. News is the biblical way. Advice is the religious way. And God does not bless that. Let's pray. Lord, this, this picture of Zechariah, who's a faithful follower of you that followed your laws and regulations and rites and rituals blamelessly, he has a supernatural experience. And he kind of poo-pooed it. But his wife said, yes, Lord. Lord, give us the courage, the strength, and the wisdom to discern what you're telling us and to say, yes, Lord. And as Zechariah was praying for his people, I pray for, for the people here.
Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from unrighteousness and redeem us. In Jesus' name, amen. 50 months ago, 5-0, I stood on this stage for the first time before you as a candidate for this position that I now serve. And I preached a message. I don't expect you to remember it, but I do. It was Jesus calming the storm, and he's out on the water. He's sleeping, and his disciples are like, don't you? I mean, it, the, the word for storm is earthquake. It, it, it was a big deal. And they were over the abyss, which is the Sea of Galilee. They thought of, of everything that was chaotic and demonic. The abyss lived underneath that sea. So they're freaked out. Their whole world is coming to an end, and they have their Messiah, their Savior, s- sleeping. They go, don't you care if we die? They're scared to death, and then they're afraid that Jesus won't act. And he gets up, and he goes, to the storm, zip it, shh, and it calms down, and then they freak out. They're scared to death. First, they're afraid that Jesus won't act, and then when he does, they're afraid that he did. We all have some of that in us, afraid that Jesus won't act, and when he does, we're scared because he did, but he will do what he promised he will do. And we have not been given a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of sound mind. The difference between the disciples and us is they didn't have the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. They didn't have him living in them, and we do. So trust the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. He's going to act. Will you cooperate with him or poo-poo it? The Lord bless you. 4,000 years people have been saying this. The Lord keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. That's the, that, that glory, that shine, that, that look on God's face. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.